You're listening to On The Verge, a podcast about solving the security risks of the 21st century, produced by the Council on Strategic Risks. Tune in for expert interviews about some of today's most pressing existential problems, including climate change, global pandemics, bioweapons, and nuclear proliferation. We'll discuss some of the major challenges and outline potential solutions for preventing worst-case scenarios. At the Council on Strategic Risks, we believe that we are on the verge of a better tomorrow. Hello, everyone. My name is Evan Bernard, and I'm a research fellow with the Center for Climate and Security at the Council on Strategic Risks. In this episode, you will hear a conversation between Ms. Kate Guy and myself. Kate Guy is a senior research fellow with the Center for Climate and Security, where she also serves as deputy director of the International Military Council on Climate and Security. She was the lead author of the seminal 2020 CCS report, A Security Threat Assessment of Global Climate Change, and has contributed to numerous other climate security research projects, including the 2021 World Climate and Security Report. She's currently pursuing a doctorate on climate change and global security at the University of Oxford. This is the third in a series of discussions on the topic of climate change, national security, and the 2021 World Climate and Security Report, released in June by the International Military Council on Climate and Security. We begin with a discussion of how the community of climate security experts prioritizes climate security threats and their intersections. We then examine the significance and importance of assessing climate security, especially its compound risks, through the lens of practitioners around the world. Finally, we dive into some of the most interesting findings of the survey. If you are interested in reading more about this topic, I encourage you to read the Expert Survey Analysis section, as well as the rest of the International Military Council on Climate and Security's 2021 World Climate Security Report. Let's go to the interview. Hey, Guy. Welcome to On The Verge. Thanks so much, Evan. Happy to be here. The International Military Council on Climate Security, or IMCCS, just released its 2021 World Climate and Security Report. The report reflects on the current state of climate security, both globally and regionally, and looks toward the next couple decades in anticipation of future climate change repercussions. Included in the report are the results of Kate's poll of what environmental security experts consider the most prescient climate threats. Kate, how did your environmental and policy interests lead you to work on the climate security realm as it pertains to national and international security? Thanks, Evan. And, and yeah, really happy to have the World Climate and Security Report 2021 out there for all to read, including the survey, but even beyond that, all of the, the good content from our IMCCS colleagues that are within that report. As for myself, it's a bit of a, a winding road. My own background is, as you say, sort of in environmental policy. So that's what I studied both in undergraduate and graduate school and really got my start working on these issues, I guess, at the international 
level. So working within the UN, both on the negotiation of the sustainable development goals, as well as on the Paris Climate Agreement from a few different angles, both from international NGOs, as well as the US State Department. So I guess I got my sort of introduction to these issues in those halls of international negotiation and diplomacy and in the belly of the beast of a big international institution. Then from there, I think I came really to deeply understand that it wasn't just the negotiation of the mitigation of climate change, a lot of what we'd been working on that we needed to look at, but actually how the climate changing impacts that we're already starting to see are interacting with those institutions themselves. Being in the room and and seeing governance as it is at that global level, you realize that it's not smooth, it's not easy, there's a lot of gridlock, there's a lot of issues and, and any given day that have to be overcome. And I was increasingly seeing that climate change itself was interacting with that process. Uh, They're not two separate worlds. In fact, it's intersections and connections that we need to look at. So that interest in that that intersection, as well as a lot of great mentors along the way, helped me understand that this was a problem of insecurity, right? This is a problem of insecurity of our institutions in the most basic sense. And that brought me and introduced me to this whole world of national security and international security, of which there are many flavors and many definitions (laughs) and many takes. The way I like to think about it is how is climate change going to interact with those things that keep us safe? Everything from our systems, our critical infrastructure, um, our militaries, but also those institutions, like I said, at the local level, at the domestic level, and at the global level, in in trying to work in cooperative ways to keep us humans, us citizens of of various countries safe in our beds at night, um, and how is climate change sort of interacting with all of those issues. So that's where my interests lie. I've sort of done a lot of work on, on those issues in recent years, but as I say, have many different sort of strands that have come before that. Well, thank you. To boil it down, you have both climate experience and security experience. If climate security has both climate change and security implications and applications, then when we discuss climate security, we are talking about everything. Ecology, society, economy, military conflict, and so on. In the eyes of climate security experts, what are today's most urgent climate threats and what will we need to prioritize in the future? Yeah, I like how you said everything, because when when you sort of dive into this issue, it becomes very daunting very quickly, because there is no part of the world or part of the natural world or the human world or understanding humans as part of that natural world, nothing that's going to be unaffected by climate change. So it can be very difficult, I think, for experts or even lay people to parse what is actually going on here, what is changing, what do we need to be worried about, what do we not. And a lot of the climate change research that gets attention these days is purely in the natural scientific side of things. It's looking at uh, really good models, really good scientific work, and trying to understand how will the climate change now and into the future. What has been done too infrequently or gets less attention, less funding, those sorts of things, is then saying, okay, what do those changes mean for human society? What do those changes mean? And, And what from that whole list of things that's going to be impacted from sea levels to precipitation changes to those disaster impacts that we've seen, what of those are most important from a human perspective? And what of those from a security perspective are the ones that we need to be worried about potentially having huge repercussions for our societies, for conflicts, for how our nation states interact, all of that. 
So, and, and those are things that are not easily modelable, right? You can't uh, spit different variables into uh, a mathematic model and get a prediction out. I mean, you can, but there are a lot of limitations to that kind of research. So that's where uh, survey methodology comes in. It's also not perfect, right? Nobody knows the future. Nobody knows what and how these things are going to develop, especially uh, sort of really difficult environmental systems like climate change and weather systems and things like that. But the survey that we did, and this is our second year running a version of it, surveys only experts in this climate security intersection. So looks around the world, people working in this space, but asks them of all of these threats that are possibly out there. And we have, you know, well over 25 threats that we survey about, which ones are most important, which ones are important now, which ones are important in the future, and how should we be thinking about the different risks that those pose. So to your question of which ones are these experts most worry about, I think I can safely say, all of them. But it's very clear from the data that there's there's no risk that we surveyed about that these experts think are less than at least a moderate level of risk to society. So that's important. It's especially important as you go over time, 20 years out, almost all of the risks that we survey about are then posing high to potentially catastrophic, severe levels of risks to society. So that's across the board. In terms of which ones really stand out as being the most dangerous, the most risky, right now. It's threats that we are sort of already seeing come online in society and the world today. It's things like disruption to population centers, to big cities. It's things like more frequent and intense severe weather events, droughts, and the disruption that come along with them to our critical and and, uh, civilian infrastructure. And then it's also the big systemic risks, things like ecological security risks, the disruption of our, our water systems, the disruption of our biodiversity systems. These are things that these experts actually point to as having the highest security risks right now. And that's because those systems are already falling apart in front of our eyes as the climate changes and are already kicking back those destructive capabilities on human societies that are very dependent on them. Those are the risks that far and away sort of rise above in consensus, I suppose, as as what the survey respondents see as the most important risks right now. It sounds like we need to broaden our scope of what we consider climate change actually impacts, especially in terms of how it affects human society. These days, we can look to scholarship and government actions and outputs, military reports, and more to learn about climate security priorities. If we already have other resources, why do we need to directly survey the field of climate security experts? Why is this an important practice in barometer? Sure, I think I'm going to push back on your question a little bit, because certainly in the realm of climate change study, or even more impressively in the realm of security study, climate security is a blip, right? There is increasingly a lot of good research on this. There are people like Sherry Goodman, board member of CSR and others who've been working on this for decades. That doesn't mean that it's gotten the attention or the research that it deserves. It has been around, people have been worried about these risks for a long time, but a lot of people have not taken them seriously. And they upper echelons of of security research or or policymaking. I think that we're actually still deeply in a moment of needing to gather all of the research and all of the scientific study that we possibly can. And we really need to ramp up capacity on our understanding of these risks. That's for two reasons. First is, is what I just said, because there actually isn't a lot of it. There certainly isn't very good detail. We have broad brushstrokes. It's only in the past few years that you've seen groups really work on hotspots and case 
studies and look specifically at specific areas and the risks that they're facing, which is we need that level of detail and granularity if we're going to really build resilience. But the second reason that we really need to ramp up this sort of work is because we so poorly, I guess, understand the intersections between a lot of these risks. We might know and have good research that shows us that a natural disaster can cause security impacts that, you know, disaster literature is, is well documented. We don't know then how that interacts with other climate risks on top of that or other insecurities on top of that. It's these sort of compound risks, which you actually, we surveyed about as well, which compound risks people were most worried about. It's those overlaying or cascading or deeply overlapping centers of insecurity that we don't have a lot of research on. There are a lot of these natural systems, which we still don't understand very well. We don't, we don't necessarily know at what point tipping points might be crossed in ice systems and permafrost systems, things like that. So we need a lot more work. The survey tool is, as I said, it's it's imperfect because nobody can predict the future. There's a lot been a lot of work around forecasting of AI and, and other cyber threats that shows that you know they're always limited just by what people are are researching and understanding in, in the world today. But what a, a survey tool like this one does is it allows you to sort of take the temperature of the, the best and brightest on these issues across the world and say, okay, you work on this every day, you have your nose to the ground on these issues. What are the risks that keep you up at night? And if you do that sort of frequently enough and across uh, a diverse subset of these experts, you can start to see patterns and you can start to better sort of prioritize which risks might be the most important now versus them, those in the future. And these sorts of tools, as I say, exist for risks that are developing over the t- over time. They're not staying constant. They're changing over time. Um, and places like the World Economic Forum and other researchers look at that and sort of track how are these things changing in, in perceptions of, of folks that study them over time. That's great. From what you say, it seems like we, I guess the counter to what I said, just don't seem to have enough granular research in the area. And the nexus of the risks themselves just is not understood well enough to understand where we are and understand what to prioritize. I was wondering if you had a few particular interesting or significant results from the survey that you would like to share. One thing that was really interesting to me is that we surveyed across a whole host of categories of risks. So water security, health security, infrastructure security. We also surveyed about uh, specific risks to militaries around military security and domestic uh, national security risks, as well as global international security risks as well. Those are issues that I work on a lot of of sort of conflict between nations and breakdown and and tensions in, in alliances, as well as specific threats to military infrastructure and installations and operations worldwide. That's what the IMCCS um, focuses a lot of its work around. And that's what, frankly, a lot of climate security money and research and attention has gone to in the past few decades is specifically sort of what are our militaries needing to do and, and risks to them. That being said, despite the fact that there's been a lot of attention there, those risks sort of fell a, a little bit further down the rankings than, than other risks. Right. So even when you ask the security people what they're most worried about, they don't say the militaries, they don't say international security, they don't say their quote, 
own issues. Instead, they think the things that pose the biggest security risks are not risks just to militaries, <laughs> they're risks to society. So there are risks like precipitation changes and, and migration and displacement, biodiversity loss, increased disasters. There are risks that hit a whole area, not just the military portion of that area. And I think that's, it's intuitive, of course, but it's significant because often security experts like to sort of be focused on their own naval gazing risks and, and risks to, you know, what they're paid to care about. Instead, what we see really clearly from the data is, yes, threats to military operations are significant and are bad. Threats to sort of mission failures and things like that are, are certainly high risk. They pale in comparison to the risks of food security, agricultural disruptions, the economic cost of, of these severe weather risks, all the rest. So that was, was indeed interesting to me. The second big thing I was focused on and, and curious to see what would come back from the data is this issue of compound risks. So we asked respondents to say which categories are most connected to the other categories, right? To try to get that network web, that graphic that shows which domino, if it falls, has the widest impact on all of the risks around it to understand what those intersections are like. To my knowledge, this compound risk question has never been asked before, especially of this community. So it was the first taste, I think, of how we see compound relationships interacting with these risks. This result was quite stark. Far and away, water security risks were the most compound interconnected risks to all the rest. That makes a lot of sense. It also is worrying because as we see earlier in the survey, it's risks to the water system, which these experts are most worried about. So you have both the combination of water risks rising and, and being quite severe as climate change accelerates. And then you also have the finding that this is the category that's most interacting with all the rest of the categories of risks. That is troubling. And you can see how water insecurity will have knock-on effects for infrastructure, for economics, for health for national security, for ecosystem security, all the rest. And that's why this sort of node of water risks is one that you can see from the survey data, we need to put a lot of money for the research, but also in building resilience into that bucket of risks. It seems like there's a shift in perception of these climate security experts in scale of risk beyond traditional security to human security. And the compound risks, particularly water security, can have cascading effects all down throughout different aspects of climate security and environmental security and even national and international security. I would encourage all of our listeners to check out the analysis of this poll in the New World Climate security report. The World Climate Security Report is not just a synopsis or analysis of the current state and the future predictions of the climate security around the world. It's also a guide of sorts for policymakers and other leaders and what they should consider. What would you hope that policymakers and leaders will learn from the survey in your analyses? And how might these results guide policy and military climate action efforts? It's a good question because it can go in, in many different ways. I think most simply what I hope readers, be they decision makers or just, uh, you know, somebody worried about their own investments in <laughs> future homes, things like that, will take away from this is the very, very clear finding, which is these risks are accelerating in severity quickly, right? So we, I think, have a natural human bias to think that whatever we're facing now is sort of what 
what we'll face into the future, what what life is like in 2021 is what life it will be like in 2031. The science disagrees with that. And the climate security experts clearly disagree with that because they see every single risk we surveyed on grew in severity between now and 10 years from now, and then 10 and 20 years from now, right? So it's a very steep curve in terms of risks around, around most of these issues. That means that anything we're building now, be it resilience measures or homes or pipelines or whatever it might be, doesn't just need to, to withstand the climate risks we're seeing now. They need to withstand the intensified risks 10 years from now and the even further intensified risks 20 years from now. And simultaneously to that, if we want to prevent it from spiraling out of control past 2040, continuing up that curve, we need to make serious mitigation and adaptation investments right now in the next 10 years. So it's a it's a simple lesson, but it's one that I think can be hard to learn for, for a policymaker that we're not just safe if we build towards the resilience of today. We need to be building and understanding and putting ourselves in the shoes of humans 20 years down the road and, and the risks they'll be facing. That's not something that's easily done in short-term political cycles. It's not easily done in the halls of, of budget and financial decisions being made. That's why we need this sort of research, right? It's why we need that easily accessible list in front of people that says, are you thinking about water risk? Are you thinking about food and agricultural risks? Are you thinking about how the region that you care about will look 20 years from now? And again, that's on our current trajectory, regardless of what we do really about climate change between now and then. So we need to be incorporating these risks. And we also need to understand that just the decisions we've made up until this point mean that the next 20 years are going to be grim in terms of these risks. So we need to be incorporating that understanding bright-eyed and sort of fully on board for what that means for us if we're going to save lives and ensure security. What I take from that is the stark caution that you give is accelerating severity of climate risks and climate threats will warrant both increasing necessity of mitigation and adaptation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, what I worry about is that we're doing this survey now, 10 years from now, and they're surveying out even further. That world looks much more <laughs> severe and catastrophic than even, even the world in 2040, you know, 2050, 2060. Things get really hairy around the mid-century if you look at this research. So we need to make serious, serious action and efforts in resilience and in decarbonization right now. Otherwise, the picture even further out from 20 years from now is one that we probably won't want to to look in the face. Well, thank you. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to add for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, the survey is a, a great piece, but it's just one slice of, of the World Climate and Security Report 2021. I think the, the chapter I would recommend you page to maybe second after the survey is the one on best practices, because we really wanted this report to be not just a sort of scaremongering, here's what we're scared about uh, in the world, here's everything on fire today, which these reports so often can be. <laughs> I say that having written many of them. Uh, we wanted it to be sort of informative and inspiring around how how to overcome these risks as well, or at least how to confront them, where and how we can learn from, from militaries, but also from diplomats, from development experts, everything around the world as to how they're confronting these risks and trying to build resilience against them. So we have a great and needy sort of best practice section of the report, which again, I think is, is one of the first, at least that I've seen really taking that on. And hopefully that's something we can build out in future years too, as we get more best practices, as people sort of take these issues at 
that on. So that's one that I think should be informative to everybody because it's not just the scary side. It's also what do you do about it that we need to start firing up. Okay. I greatly enjoyed this insightful discussion. I look forward to future discussions and thank you for joining the show. Thank you, Evan. It's been great. Appreciate your work and help on the report as well. Thank you for listening to On The Verge. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to leave us a review. For more information on the work of the Council on Strategic Risks, please visit us at councilonstrategicrisks.org. Or you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn.